0: And Welcome to the Sunderland Echoes Raw podcast. I'm your host, James Copley, and I'm joined today by Phil Smith, who is fresh from his trip to Portland Road. Sunderland drew 1-1 with Ipswich Town. Poop first half performance, Phil, but the battle back...
1: Yeah, I thought in the end it was um, sort of okay, I think. Um, you know, I thought the first half, it felt very much like sort of the Rotherham game, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, those kind of days we've seen... Um, on the road this season, quite tight grounds, quite a big atmosphere, very aggressive opponent, quite direct. I mean, there was a huge change from the Ipswich that we saw a couple of weeks ago under Paul Cook, um, much more direct, much more physical, brought James Knowles back from, you know, the under-23s where he'd basically been exiled under Paul Cook. And, you know, it was almost, you know, Lee Johnson spoke about after that Sheffield Wednesday game back, there been a little playbook on how to beat this Sunderland side, you know, big centre-forward, getting balls into them really early. And so even though it took until it to Shine with which you score at half-time, you kind of think, mm, is this another one of those days? And so for Sunderland to, to sort of find their footing quite literally um, by changing their studs at half-time, because they've been slipping all over, um, but to to start winning a lot more second balls, to start competing, um. And then, because of that, being able to play some nice football, there was a fair amount of encouragement in that, and that, you know, they kind of got through that challenge. So I don't think anyone was coming away, you know, kind of buoyant or thinking, you know, being overly positive. But I think it was, you know, quite encouraging to see what ultimately is a difficult game, no matter where Ipswich are on the table, to see them sort of come through that challenge. And hopefully that bodes well for, for you know, when, for when those challenges come again in the second half of the season.
0: In terms of, the league table, the draw probably wasn't the best result, but it wasn't the worst either. Sunderland remained third, the two points off Wigan in second, but Wigan have a game in hand there on 45 points, Sunderland on 43. Rotherham looked like they're running away with it a little bit on 47, 22 matches played, same amount as Sunderland. In terms of the automatics, it doesn't look great at the moment, but there's so much football left to be played and we've seen how things can change in this division, teams can come out of nowhere and, and teams can drop off as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why we're talking an awful lot about the two points per game thing, isn't it? Because it's generally a really good guide that teams form will ebb and flow over the course of a season. But by the end of the season, the top two will end up around that mark. That's why it's, it is generally a pretty useful guide. And again, if something beat Doncaster, if that game goes ahead on the 27th, then they're back up to that level. So I think that's a guide that something are doing okay. And we'll need to get a little bit better in the second half of the season. And obviously January window is going to be a huge part of that. I do think that Rotherham and Wigan, I don't think this is kind of flash in the pan stuff. I think what we're looking at out here is two very good league one sides. um, One that has a lot of experience in getting out of this division. The other that's invested very heavily over the summer. And I think has a pretty strong squad. So I do think some of them are going to have to be at a pretty high level to get automatic promotion and, you know, we'll judge them to that standard as a result because that's the expectation. But I think my personal view on it is given the injuries that have been at the club, given the scale of change in the summer um, to be on the seven game unbeaten run, to be in touch going up until the January window, you know, fingers crossed the results at the end of the month are good. I think is a pretty good place to be. And then I think it becomes over to the board to get the January window right, because that's not something that's always really happened in the last few years and it's been pretty costly. So it's up to them to get it right and to sort of put in that investment. And I'm not talking about spending stupid money. I'm just talking about making obvious upgrades in key areas of the pitch. And then it's over Johnson over to Johnson to build on what he's done. So I feel fairly um, I feel fairly positive about where Sunland are at. And I think if in the week, building up to that Wigan game on the open day of the season, you know, when Sunderland didn't have any fullbacks. Um, I think if you'd said to most of us that this would be what the table is now, going into Christmas, I'm not saying we'd have been thrilled, but I think most people would have taken it. And then it kind of builds up to a really important January window. So I think, especially in the context of the recent injuries, I'm fairly happy with Sunland, with the caveat that I think they're going to have to get better. Um, and that's not been unreasonable. It's just, in my opinion, an honest assessment of the fact that Rotherham and Wigan, I think, are two very strong sides this year.
0: Yeah, the team he mentions there obviously Rotherham have been promoted from this division in recent history under Paul Warren as well, who's shown himself to be an excellent manager. Wigan as well, they recruit heavily in the summer, but they seem to be scoring a lot of last-minute equalizers and winners as well, which is always good for morale. The, the Charlie white situation seems to have, you know, galvanised them a bit as a squad, and they've got something to to really, really fight for and get behind now. I want to talk about Dan Neal? Um, for Sunderland's equaliser, Phil, because it was a lovely bit of skill. I think Ross Stewart initially wins the ball. Dan Neil gets a little nutmeg off and plays a, a beautiful ball through to, to Nathan Broadhead, who slots at home very nicely. That's not a typical sort of League One goal, is it? That was, that was pretty high quality.
1: Yeah, and it was great to see because, to be honest, I thought that Neil was one of the players who really struggled in the first half. Um And I don't really see that as a criticism because I think it's literally the first time this season I feel like he's been below par, which is staggering for a player of his age in his first senior season. But he did look like he was struggling a little bit. He looked like Ipswich's two very physical centre midfielders were getting on top of him a little bit, wasn't winning many second balls. And that just speaks to his um, his ability and his attitude as well. That he came out in the second half kind of with that second wind and it is absolutely a brilliant little passage of play to set up the goal. And his celebrations were amazing, actually. I mean, I don't know, I know kind of the best pictures were of Broadhead, but actually, if you watch Dan Neal, he was so pumped after that. And I do wonder whether he kind of, part of that is because he knew that he'd been struggling to get into the game before then. Um, but yeah, he was tremendous. And I have to say as well, um, Broadhead finish, Broadhead's finish was superb. It kind of is one of those where I think when someone scores one-on-one, you know, you don't really give them much credit because you obviously you expect good strikers to score from them, but to not just kind of smash it um, and to not go across the goalkeeper, which obviously for the right foot was the obvious finish, to just kind of put it in that near bottom corner so nervously. Really encouraging. He's a serious player. Um, it's one of those funny ones, isn't it? You know, you kind of look, you know, you think, how has he only had kind of one ineffective loan before now? And of course, it seems like he spent a lot of his early career playing on the wing, which seems strange now because it's clear that he's such an explosive player through the middle. Um, but that was... Just really, really, really good. And I think it's a, a, it's a bit of a learning thing for the team as well, because when, when they competed, when they started winning the second balls, when they started really getting on top of Ipswich, we then saw those lovely little passing moves coming out. And I think they understand that, but it's again, it's that learning phase that you build a platform in terms of your, your physicality, which then allows you to show what a good footballing team you are. Um, and there were a couple of really nice moves after that as well. That One was given offside, one Stewart drew what was a pretty good save from Walton. Um, but it was good to see, like I said at the start, nobody's coming away, sort of, you know, opening the champagne because we've got a 1 1 draw. But I think it did just go to show that actually maybe they're starting to understand what it takes in these games and work it out for themselves a little bit. And, and hopefully that does bode well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the, the qualities I, I rate highest about Dan Neil, as you mentioned there, is. His is really good in terms of when the game's not going for him, he'll still try and play the ball forward and he'll still try and create something. Cast your mind back. I think it was Wigan on the opening day. He played left back that day. I think he gave away the pass for the goal, but he still had the courage to, to try and make that pass again and it ended up paying off for Sullen. He's a, he's definitely a player of the highest quality. One negative, fill was uh, Leon Diak, um playing at left wing back for Sullen, was stretching off. Obviously, we'll, we'll know more uh, later on Today, Lee Johnson set to speak to the media. We're recording this on Monday, so hopefully we'll have an update for you over on the Sunderland Echo website. But again, Phil, those injuries, it's just it's so unfortunate for Sunderland. It just seems like, you know,
1: when it rains, it pours. Yeah, definitely. I mean, hopefully, I was kind of expecting a very downbeat assessment straight after the game because Dayaki looked in so much pain and we didn't really get that from Johnson, so... Yeah, like I say, by the time people listen to this, there might be an update on sort of our Twitter and over on the websites. Go and check that out. But I was quite encouraged that it didn't seem quite as downbeat as I thought it may be. So what we'll have to say on that. I mean, the positive is, is that I thought Denver had a, well, he had a decent hour, but given that it was his first football for, for two months and he was thrown on in a game of that intensity, I thought he had a very good hour, played a nice little part to the goal. A um, couple of moments defensively where he looked a little bit, um, unsure, but generally speaking, he looked quite powerful. He was certain, certainly moving very well. So he does look like he's pretty much fully fit and that's encouraging. Um, and clearly, he suits the system that they're playing at the moment as well. You know, Johnson said he expects to have Dennis Serkin back by the new year as well. So it does feel like it's slowly getting a little bit better in that sense. And hopefully, Dayaki's injuries are not too bad. But listen, I, I think it's going to be a theme of the next few podcasts, to be honest. But, you know, January is a big window are in a good position um and it's a big window to get right. I really do think it's going to be the difference between some being probably the best of the playoff sides um, and being a being a real strong top two side so you know fingers crossed they can they can do what they need to do.
0: Absolutely. So we're recording this on on the Monday. Sunderland played Ipswich on the Saturday, and we face Arsenal in the quarterfinal of the Carabao Cup tomorrow night, live on Sky Sports. We'll obviously have full coverage over at the Sunderland. Go, oh, Phil. You must be looking forward to um the press room at the Emirates and um s- some delights that you don't usually get to taste.
1: Well, yeah, very excited to go back to what I've always considered my spiritual home. I'll be uh I'll be taking my Wenger in banner to uh to hold aloft. Um, I I think probably I, I think as well though I experience and what everyone is there's a lot of anxiety at the moment isn't there around the COVID situation Um, and we'll have to wait and see how that develops and the game you know as it stands is very much on and both clubs are, are proceeding in that vein obviously that well it's dependent on two things really one is dependent on how the squads test which is out of everybody's control and I guess it's also um depends on what our wine and cheese loving overlords decide they're going to ask us to do and then ignore themselves over the next 24 hours so i think it's it, it feels like a little bit of a shame that you know obviously the game might not have that quite carnival feel that we all hoped it would just because of the wider situation but you know at the moment touch wood and fingers crossed and we're, we're planning for it to go ahead and hopefully it will hopefully it will be a really kind of memorable occasion and and hopefully everyone can kind of say Stay safe and well who's going and, and enjoy the occasion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sutherland's set to, to travel and the numbers as it stands, about five thousand Mackhams going down. We're talking before we, we started the podcast, Phil, about the potential team to face Arsenal. You probably Lee Johnson likely to name a strongest side, but there's obviously the caveat of of Diaku, and you think maybe Ambleton could come back in at the side?
1: Yeah, I just think it's a bit of a balance, isn't it? I mean, the reality is that there aren't really enough fit players to make sweeping changes to the side. And I don't think it would be fair on a lot of the under-23 players to ask them to go into that environment and perform. I think it's one of those where you can potentially do more, more harm than good if you expose them too early to a level. You know, it's like, I think that Arsenal are probably... It's strange, isn't it? Because we grew up with Arsenal being one of the two best sides in the country every year. So we kind of judge them as being not what they once were, but actually, you know, obviously some of the young talent they have is frighteningly good. So, it's you know, Johnson, I think, has to put a pretty strong side out there and certainly a side with a bit of experience. I think that's a big thing. So I would have thought he will want to get a balance between trying to freshen it up a little bit where he can, but also make sure he stays strong. And I think bringing Embleton in maybe for Pritchard, maybe for one of the midfielders or for one of the forwards, Seems to me like a fairly obvious way to, to maintain the quality, but freshen it up a little bit. And you have to say that even if the assessment of Diakus' injuries is not too bad, I, th- I think it would be a big risk, wouldn't it, to be playing in a cup game like this? So maybe He will get a start. Um, maybe Alves will come in, I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I, I don't think this is going to be like previous cup games where we're suddenly talking about seven, eight changes. I'm, I'm not sure that would be the right thing to do. Um, and the interesting, one of the interesting ones is going to be in goal. Um, of course, because obviously we're reaching the stage of a cup game now especially with a level of opposition where the manager will always be considering putting in his vertical as number one goalkeeper which obviously is Thorben Hoffman so he would already have been weighing up that decision in terms of Lee Burge who's done really well in this cup so far and whatever people's opinions of are of Lee Burge as a goalkeeper he's had a really good tournament there's no denying that but obviously we now have that extra layer because since Patson's come back from his low and his covert Lee bird, he was injured but's now fit. And Johnson's promoted him to the number two um in the league games amid you know, that makes fairly clear that he sees Patterson as being further ahead at this moment. So then that's another decision. Is this a great opportunity to put Patterson in and give him some really good experience? Um, so that's going to be one of the really interesting decisions tomorrow. And at this point, I have absolutely no idea which way he's, he's gonna take it. Um what I would say is if he does go with Patterson we might, some of fans might get to really see his um, shot-stopping ability because I feel like so far, patson's played in games where someone have dominated um, and the focus has more been on his sort of distribution and his set-piece defending. The guy has got frighteningly good reflexes. I've seen him make ridiculous saves in the under-23s and I don't feel like he's had much of a chance to show that off in the first team. So hopefully, maybe that'll be one. But it'll be difficult. You know, if I was a manager, I'd be picking Hoffman. Because um, he's my number one, and you're going away hit the Emirates and you're facing, you know, pretty frightening array of talent. But it's a really tricky decision. What would you do? I don't
0: know what I would do. I'd, I'd probably go with Hoffman, to be honest. Yeah. The, yeah. I think, as you say, Burgers had a, a really good, you know, Carabao Cup uh, season, really good against QPR, actually. But yeah, I think the Hoff, the Hoff wins it for me, I, especially after reading some of his comments recently and his. Um, his interviews in The Athletic and Kicker, out. I think he's the thinking man's goalkeeper, isn't he? And I, I quite like that. Guy's living in Jordan Henderson's house and sounds like he's having a whale of a time at the moment. I, obviously, Sunderland aren't going to... Well, we, we say this, but you never know, do you? Sunderland aren't going to beat Arsenal and and get to the semi-final. I think that's, that's pretty obvious it would take. A lot of things going against Arsenal, a lot of things going for Sunderland for that to happen. But how far do you think this is sort of a, an opportunity for Sunderland to perhaps return to the national consciousness briefly in, in terms of football and for them to to give a, a good account of themselves as a club in terms of the way they play there's obviously the narratives of the the youngsters coming out coming on loan and, and performing well broadhead and, and Callum doyle I suppose it's a a reminder for you know the, the wider football and public that, that Sunderland are, are still around and and actually you know there's there's something good building there perhaps
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely how I'd be viewing it if I was part of the sort of executive regime at Sunderland. I think, to be honest, I think a big part of it is like, and, and again, where I go back to, I think it is a bit of a shame because obviously the COVID situation, but I think it's just an opportunity for people associated with the club to, to enjoy themselves. Um, I know that sounds really trite, but you know, every League One game, because we're so desperate to get out of this division, it's, there's so much tension around it, there's so much sort of anxiousness around it because you know we we know the club has to get out of this division and we're so desperate for it to happen. And I just feel like this is a, a hopefully a night where people can just sort of you know open a, a beer or a non-alcoholic beer or whatever and just actually feel a real sense of pride and enjoyment, you know, watching our team at the Emirates. I'm sure there's loads of people who sort of live um, further down south or whatever, who will get a chance to go and see Sunderland as well, which will be really exciting for them. So, yeah, I definitely think it's, it's just a little bit of an opportunity, like I say, to open a tinny and just say, you know, it's really nice to have this sense that maybe something's building. Um, and to, be yeah, like you say, show, show the rest of the country, if you like, that, that hopefully Sunderland are on the way back. And when for years it's been kind of a bit of a butt of the joke that, you know, maybe... There's actually something pretty cool happening, we hope, but we're anyway in the early stages of happening. So, hopefully, it's like I say, it's actually just an occasion that um, we can get a little bit of enjoyment from. Um, and obviously, it's, you know, while expectations are pretty low, the team probably does have to hit a certain level for it to be enjoyable. Because as much as I'm looking forward to it, obviously, we're not going to enjoy it if, you know, a lot of goals are going in. But um, yeah, I think it's just an occasion for, like I say, people to just, sit back a little bit and just enjoy the satisfaction of someone playing on stage like that again. I think you know, as you mentioned
0: there, because of the the slog of League One and, and the grind, I think maybe this cup run's been sort of, it's gone under the radar, but it is a, a fantastic achievement in a way for, for Sunderland, a League One club to, to reach the Carabao Cup quarter-finals against Arsenal, having beaten QPR and a couple of good sides from, from Sunderland's own division as well. It, it's a it's a good achievement for Lee Johnson and for the club transfers, Phil, is the world on everybody's lips at the moment. We're approaching January. You mentioned earlier, expect Sunderland to do some business. Um, which areas of the pitch would you be targeting if, if you were Sunderland manager?
1: Yeah, I think the first one for me would be a, a proper right back, um, which is really not a slight on the players who've played there of late. Quite the opposite, actually. You know, Carl Winchester, so far, is my Sunderland player of the season. Um, Dan Neal would run him close, but I suppose. But for Winchester to do what he did, and you know, I know he has played there early in his career, but what isn't his natural position through the first three, four months of the season, I thought was unbelievable. And I think Billy Wright's been really strong there in recent weeks. So it's certainly not a criticism of everyone, but I just think getting a proper orthodox right back can really transform this team. Um, it allows Winchester to stay in midfield. And I think that's now, in my opinion, really important. Because from what I've watched over the first, well, it'll be 30 games now, won't it, in all competitions, which is unbelievable, by the way. But anyway, um, for me, Neil and Winchester has been the best partnership by a considerable distance. I think Winchester's tenacity, the way he picks up second balls, the way he scraps. I know he's got football and quality as well. Um, I think that's been massive in setting the platform for Neil and Pritchard to really go and show their best. And I think he's a big reason why those two players in particular have been really good in recent weeks. So for me, a right-back, not only does it strengthen that position, um, it actually improves Sunderland everywhere else on the pitch. So for me, that's the one that I'd be desperate to see. And, you know, we looked in the summer, in the end, Sunderland didn't sign a right-back, but we know that they were looking at players like Josh Key from Exeter. For whatever reason, that didn't happen. Um, but I would love to see them go and get that kind of dynamic attack and right-back. And I would also bring in a central midfielder, just because I'm worried about the depth in that position. I fear too much what would happen to the team if Neil or Winchester got an injury right now. We know Corey Evans is close to making a comeback, which is great news, but obviously his availability has been pretty patchy. So I feel like that's one where, okay, it might be a a challenge for someone coming into the club in terms of getting in the team in that position, but you need another option. And then it kind of depends on what happens, I guess. I would like to see another centre-half come in, um, a really physical centre-half. I would point to George Edmondson, Fripswich, Um, on Saturday is an example of what I still think someone could do with someone who's pretty comfortable on the ball but is really really powerful I still think that would help the team particularly if Frederic Alves goes back to West Ham and I think at the moment you'd have to say that looks fairly likely so those are my three main positions I would probably like to get another striker in but that's very very difficult to do because any striker who comes in knows that Stuart and Broadhead are pretty much a lock at the moment Um, and then I will be praying to any God willing to listen that Everton are happy to just let Nathan Broadhead be and, and leave him on wayside for the next six months and I'll be writing a, a Christmas letter to, to Rafa Benitez later today at to that effect because um, I just think he suddenly becomes so important to what to what Sunderland do um, I don't see why Everton would um, move him it would seem like a pointless risk to me um, not only is he getting regular game time he's growing his you know he's growing his asking price every time he scores one of these goals so I don't see why Everton would do it, but I have also been following Sunderland for a long time. So <laughs> until until the window shuts, I'll be I'll be, uh, I'll be losing a few hours sleep, that's for sure.
0: That would top an utterly bizarre 2021 off if Sunderland fans started sending flowers to Rafa Benitez. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it really would.
1: You, we've, meant got meant to to do, it. we've got to do what we've got to do. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. You mentioned the areas there um, which you would ideally like to recruit into. Do you think Sunderland will, will go... Gung-ho is possibly the wrong word, but do you think there will be you know, serious strengthening of that team? I know Lee Johnson's alluded to there probably will be movement in the transfer market, but sometimes January can be be a bit of a damp squib, can't it?
1: Yeah, I don't expect massive spending, to be honest. Um, I'm just taking that over what we've seen over the last year. It's been, got to be careful how I phrase this, because I do think there's been a lot of investment in the football and operation in the club. And there's a lot more that could be done in other areas of the club, you know, sort of the public face and sort of customer side of things. There has been investment across the football side of the club, but they have not been huge fees spent Um, and certainly not bringing in players who will be on huge wages for the level. That absolutely has not happened. Um, And, you know, and that's not a criticism. I understand that the club's moving to a more sustainable model and I support, you know, large elements of that, you know, Kind of Serk like that. I think terrific signings for the long term. So I think it's a little bit of a, um, I think I really admire the way they've brought the young players through and exposed them. And, you know, we talked about Dan Neal's assist on Saturday. I think it's a great example of that. But I think in this league as well, it's a little bit of a balance. So what I would like someone to see someone do is absolutely, yeah, you you invest in players who are going to be there for the long term. And I'm certainly not talking about getting in players who have no future asset value. But can you just get that blend a little bit better and just bring in a little bit more, not necessarily experience. I don't think it's about experience, but I think physicality is a big thing. I still think this is a team that could do with just another injection of, of power and a little bit of pace as well. I've talked about it right back and centre back. I do think there are two areas where a little bit of targeted investment, like I say, I'm not talking about anything silly, a little bit of targeted investment I think could make a significant difference to this side and yeah and I really hope we see that because it's not gonna it's a competitive division this year but someone can go up this year in the top two it is there and it is a possibility we've got a lot of talent and it's just about sort of like I say um, a little bit of targeted investment could go a long long way I think next month.
0: Yeah yeah definitely one final sort of Light-hearted note: Lee Johnson was spotted at St James's Park yesterday as Newcastle United were beaten four 0 by Man City, which prompted a brilliant comment. I haven't got his name, um, but he will know who he is on Twitter. Who said? Um, to be fair, Kevin De Bruyne would be excellent cover for uh, for Dan Neal. So I, I did enjoy that. Whoever that was on Twitter, I thought was good. Lee, you, um, Lee, sorry, Phil. Do you think there's anything in them um, in Lee Johnson being at St James's Park? Or is it just a case of man takes in football game?
1: Yeah, I think it's that. I mean, I don't know this for sure, but the context I would add is that um, I believe Lee Johnson has got quite close connections with a lot of um, football figures at the City Group. Um, so I know that he's done a lot of sort of um, shadowing work in terms of going into some of the City Group's clubs to see how they do things and, and get some experience. And um, I know he's maintained dialogue with a lot of figures in the City Group. I suspect Kevin Doyle's loan owed at least in part to the fact that he has these connections with these figures in the city group so i would imagine although i don't know for sure i would strongly imagine that he was invited as a chance to catch up with uh, to catch up with those some of those connections i'm not sure who he was sat next to at the game but i wouldn't be surprised if it was one of his um friends from the city group sorry to give you a very boring answer but i am here <laughs> to provide Boring answers. So,
0: but one thing that is not boring, Phil, is your uh, copy on the Sunderland Echo website, which you can subscribe to if you so choose. Phil, thanks for joining us. Safe trip to London. I hope it's all okay with COVID, etc. and you enjoy. And thanks once again to the listener for listening. I think we might be back before Christmas. Don't hold me to that, but certainly we'll, we'll be around over the Christmas period bringing you... Um, all of the latest content as Sunderland embark on another busy period in League One thank you once again for listening